I believe that we are in, somebody said to me recently, the great white awakening, which I found both hilarious and also really interesting is that white folks have not had to think about race and racism. That has been the privilege of being white is that, um, and I wrote this once on social media that I, like many other black and brown folks have participated in that system because that was a survival mechanism of, I don't want to talk to you about race because I don't know how you'll react and I want to stay safe. And we just have not had this conversation at this volume. I know in my lifetime, and I think probably ever, and that feels radical and it feels scary and it feels depressing and it feels new and it feels exciting but I also feel like I don't know about you but in my bones it feels different it feels like we are on a precipice of a big change and I'm hopeful because I think that we're ready for it. Do you want to be a leader who gets noticed, gets things done and gets real results? Then you need influence and authority. Join host Jennifer McClure to learn how to build authority, expand your influence, and increase your impact. This is the Impact Makers Podcast with Jennifer McClure. Hey there, Impact Makers. Thanks for joining me today for episode 41 of the Impact Makers Podcast. I'm Jennifer McClure, a professional speaker, trainer, and executive coach, and my focus is on equipping leaders to create maximum positive impact at work and in life while building a career that they love and living a life that matters. I'm really glad you're here today because this is an important and sometimes difficult conversation about some of the problems, challenges, and harms related to racial justice and equality. And it's also a conversation about hope, encouragement, and action steps that we can take to create a better future for us all. My guest today is Katie Augsberger, who describes herself as an employee experience strategist who's disrupting how we think about employee experience and helping organizations to rethink their policies and practices to create a more healing and inclusive workplace for all of their employees. I was first introduced to Katie through my friend Laurie Rudiman's podcast in early 2019, and then shortly thereafter, Laurie introduced the two of us so we could connect and get to know each other better. You'll hear more about that phone call in this conversation today. But let's just say that I felt that I made less than a positive impression during our chat, and I was grateful then and even more grateful now for Katie's grace, support, and forgiveness. I hope that you'll find our conversation today helpful to you in your learning journey and that you'll take action along with me to create a network of authentic relationships with a diverse group of people, a more equitable workplace, and a better world where all people feel welcomed and included and where they can thrive. All right, Katie Augsberger, welcome to the Impacts Makers podcast. And I have two questions for you. First one, did I say your name right? And second one, <laughs> tell me who Katie Augsberger is. Oh, okay. One, you did. It's a very hard last name. So well done. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, yeah, you did it. And two, who am I? I feel like that's the big existential question that we all have to face. But In short, I am a HR practitioner who has grown up in Oregon my whole life, Black woman in rural Oregon for most of my life. And I think that's really foundationally shaped (laughs) how I see the world. And yeah, and I'm, I feel like I'm kind of here in this moment to like, as you beautifully put, disrupt HR. So I feel like that's part of my reason for being in this moment. So Wow. Now we skipped over a whole lot. I told you to start wherever you wanted, but I think we, we skipped. <laughs> but I just like, wait, 
beginning. I should start again. <laughs> yeah, we started from I was born a small child to, and here we are. And here I am. Yeah. So I'll fill in. I'll fill in some pieces. So I have been one of the few people of color in most spaces that I exist in. Like I said, I grew up in rural Oregon. My grandfather was a black cowboy in Central Oregon. I grew up with a, a white teen mom and. I was often in, you know, in a logging community and I was the only face that looked like mine. And when I went to college, when I went uh, and got my first kind of real job, I just didn't see a lot of people that looked like me. And even though I thought like my trajectory was to be a history teacher, which I was, I'm the person that will watch Jeopardy over and over again for the fun of it. I like history. I like, I like quizzes and I like being tested. Uh, <laughs> but but I, I didn't think of myself as a person that would go into HR. I felt like I was a little too, I don't know, not professional enough to be a part of an HR team. But as I was going to school and I was in my first real job, which was kind of like an assistant inside a manufacturing company, I and I was using that to kind of get me through grad school, I found that there were so many opportunities where there was programs for people who were in the white collar space at that organization. And there's programs for all of the folks in the more manufacturing space. And even though that wasn't articulated, like in any kind of policy, it was always known, like there was like the the shop floor and the carpet people. And I just was like, this is, there's gotta be a better way to do this. And all the people who looked like me were on the shop floor. All the brown and black faces were on the shop floor and all the people in the executive spaces didn't look like me at all. And I felt like, well, maybe I have a point of view and an interest in helping to bridge that and create a space where there wasn't such a divide. And so I kind of got into HR by accident. I just wanted to solve some problems inside the organization I was in. And now here I am. (laughs) Yeah. So the organization that you're in, were they receptive to that? Did they support you or did you have to leave and go Mm. to another organization to start doing that kind of work? You know, I was really lucky. And I think I haven't actually really talked about this very much but this is a great time to talk about this. I was very lucky that they were supportive only because I had a personal relationship, a friendship with a very important person in charge of the organization. So my best friend, his partner was the CEO of the organization. And I bring that up because I think a lot of people who know me think I just somehow was able to get the voice of people in power, but it's really hard to get the voice of people of power when they look like me. Mm -hmm. I was able to do that because of my own personal connection. And we don't often think about how important social networks are (laughs) in actually building space for black and brown folks. But it was only because I had that social network that I was able to get that voice. And I think... I was able to amplify some ideas that I had that may not have been amplified before. I think a lot of people outside of this relationship thought I was kind of a rebel rouser or thought like maybe my ideas were too radical, but he listened because Mm -hmm. he knew me and he cared about me and he knew my point of view. 
sometimes he's still he's still a white dude in a position of power so sometimes he still thought that that maybe my ideas are too radical but he at least listened to them and i think that that relationship was critical to me actually being able to be successful yeah so i think we talk a lot about you know executive sponsors and encouraging mm-hmm. people to make sure that if they're trying to create change or do something different in an organization that the importance of that executive sponsor is there. And in your case, you were able to have that through a personal relationship. And I'm Mm -hmm. sure, you know, obviously developed it and, you know, used that wisely. Do you Mm -hmm. have advice for either people of color or just in general who maybe want to create change in an organization? How can they develop those relationships on their own? Or is that possible? Or do they have to leave? Well, it's, it's interesting because like the normal narrative about this is like mentorship and creating allies and affinity groups inside of organizations. And I do think that is important, but at least for me, what worked is white people allowing themselves to open up their social network, not just professionally, but personally. Like think of all the people you've probably referred in your life. They've come not just from your work experience, but people who are just in close community of you. Like I, I refer people all the time who I just know are good people that might not have had a chance to get in front of somebody, but because I, because I just know them and I hang out with them and I like them, I'm able to vouch for them in a way that I wouldn't. And him opening up his social network to include people who did not look like them and didn't have a life experience at all like him, allowed him to see the potential in me before my actual credentials proved that I could do it. And I think that's what a lot of people of color need is somebody to say, I know that your credentials don't necessarily say that, you know, you're the right person for this role, but I see potential and the possibility in you. And that's something that often white folks get, but people of color don't. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the, best advice I'd give to folks, specifically white folks, is to authentically expand your personal network, not just your work network, but just go to places where people who don't look like you are, when it is safe to do so, obviously we're in a pandemic, but to to really authentically build your personal network. And that will help you create space for black and brown folk in your professional network. Mm-hmm. Now we're recording this in July 2020 because some people obviously may be listening to this in the future. So time of pandemic, time <laughs> of you know Black Lives Matter really being something that's in the forefront of consciousness for a lot of people and just racial inequity, anti-racism, et cetera. And, and I, as a white woman, obviously have a lot to learn. You know, I think I've mm. tried to do some things right in my history. I've done a lot of things wrong, still doing things wrong. And, you know, something you just said there about opening up my networks, I've tried personally to, you know, when I make a recommendation for someone to be a speaker at an event, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. I spoke there, was the keynote this year, and so I want Mm -hmm. to leave them with some referrals for next year. And Mm -hmm. I've always tried to look at my list of folks that I'm sending them and say, is this both some new voices Mm -hmm. to give somebody an opportunity potentially to be heard? And then also, do I have a diverse group of people here from, mm-hmm. you know, backgrounds and color, all these things that I tried to consider? But I guess, was that enough? I mean, just referring people is not probably enough. I'm trying to raise voices 
But do you have advice for people? You know, obviously some of this is what you do in your work, but do you have advice for someone like me who genuinely wants to lift up other voices? Mm-hmm. But to be honest, uh, maybe a little vulnerable here, it's also scary because I see some yeah. people trying and then mm-hmm. they're piled on because they did it wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, it is scary. Advice. Yeah, so I I will affirm that yeah, it is it is a scary time I think because nobody knows what getting it right means, right? Like we're all on this you are on a learning journey but so am I. We're all on this learning journey to understand like how do I show up in space based on my identity and how do I not do harm? And I think what we're seeing in this moment now is this <sighs> almost a reckoning of like, Hey, you can do harm. Like you may not know this, but I need to let you know, here's what harm looks like. I kind of liken it a little bit to when the Me Too movement started and men were like, now, so I can't say anything at work. And now, you know, like now I have to watch everything I do. And it's like, well, yeah, actually, you should have probably been more careful all along. But doesn't mean you can't joke and have fun with people and you can't show up in space authentically. But it also means that I, as a woman, can share with you what you thought was funny to you wasn't funny to me. And that I need you to understand that I have different needs because of my own lived experience. And that's what's happening across identities right now people are expressing their need to be heard in a way that feels good to them and seen in a way that feels good to them. And you're going to get it wrong. (laughs) You'll get it wrong. And the, the goal isn't perfection. The goal isn't that you do it all right all the time. The goal is that you try and that you learn to get comfortable getting feedback when you get it wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are people who who give that feedback in a way that is unloving and harsh. And I think that comes from a real place of frustration and anger at a system that never heard them. Mm-hmm. But I also think that as a culture, if we want to actually move this conversation, we actually want to make change. We have to call people in and not call people out. But also those people who get called in have to have the grace to hear feedback about how they're showing up. Mm-hmm. So if you have extended offers to folks and then it kind of went wonky, say, Hey, I extended this, like, uh, this opportunity to you, but it felt like it landed funny. Can you give me feedback on how I could do it better? Mm-hmm. And I think really like what you're doing of passing the microphone to other folks and giving a platform for other folks is really critical. And I think the next iteration of that is then how do I do that in my own personal life? How do I create space in my own personal life outside of work to really just have black and brown folks who just love me, who can just be in my space and give me feedback about how I show up? Because that's how we actually make movement is like, actual authentic relationships because work relationships are so wonky. Sometimes we show up in a way we wouldn't, you don't, I wouldn't put my house pants on, you know, (laughs) and my stained t-shirt with a work buddy, but I would with my best friend. And that person can give me feedback about how I'm showing up in a way that's really authentic. And so I always kind of encourage white folks who are in this journey and trying to figure out how to show up is to create a space around people who can give you feedback and don't, necessarily use that as a way to learn because you know we have google you can learn about you know the black experience through that 
but to learn how to just be an authentic relationship with black and brown folks so that you can see potential in them so that you can amplify their voices and then they can give you feedback about how you show up yeah i think that's helpful thank you for sharing that Mm -hmm. it's just as i said you know someone who's trying to do the right thing who will do it wrong you know i've seen several examples of people that i follow and admire white quote influencers who Mm -hmm. some of them messed up right in the beginning and then handled it wrong some Mm -hmm. of them who tried really hard to do it right and were wrong (laughs) yeah and then some of them who seem to you know take some an appropriate path to the learning journey and the understanding, but it's scary to see what's happening. And I've, I've learned through both watching them and also, you know, the, the resources that I've been consuming myself, the importance of being willing to do it wrong, I guess. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So I am willing to do it wrong. I just, you know, I, I, uh, engage in, you know, social media, back and forth with a lot mm-hmm. of this. Obviously, I don't think that's helpful if I'm, you know, don't necessarily need, need to insert myself into some of the stuff. But sometimes I kind of go back to, let me see what you think about this with maybe you're even working with some companies where you've <laughs> heard this. When I was in HR and a manager would come to me, you know, usually they're upset or angry with somebody that they're always upset or angry with and maybe they you know, mm-hmm. don't want to get rid of them. And the person does something that is against a rule or a policy. And the manager comes and says, they need to be fired. And the first thing I would always say is, let's look at the intent. First of Mm -hmm. all, did the person know what they were doing was wrong? Is it something Mm -hmm. that we've told them three, you know, we've given them three warnings Mm -hmm. before not to do it and they continue to do it. Those two things are different. You know, to me, it was about intent. And so some of what I see happening, particularly with people online where they make a mistake and the pile on begins I kind of want to say, can we look at that person's intent? But then I see the other side where people will be like, say, we've been telling you this for a long time. So you obviously either haven't been listening or you're choosing not to listen. So do you have wise words for people who are maybe in that? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know how wise they are, but I can tell you what I tell my clients is that intent is important. It's very important. Like how I want to show up, how I want to show up with you is critical, but it's the only component I can control. What is more important than my intent is my impact. Is So how am I impacting you is more important than how I intended. So if I'm gushing over like, wow, Jennifer, like, I think you look so great. You're, you've lost so much weight or you're whatever the thing I'm talking about your body. And I think my intent is to compliment you and tell you how phenomenal I think you look. But you may have gone through an illness, so you've lost a bunch of weight because of that. You may be uncomfortable with people talking about your body. So the impact may be very different than how I intended it. And that's what's most important in that moment is how it's impacting you versus how I intended it. And so the goal isn't for me to never give you a compliment or for me to just just be quiet all the time, but it's to make sure that my intent and my impact are aligned. Ah. So that when I am accompanying in a way that feels impactful for you. Like you look like I'm looking at your face and I just see so much joy and love and compassion. I'm so glad to be in space with you. That is about what I'm trying to convey, which is you look beautiful today, mm-hmm. but the impact will probably be lessened because I'm not pulling out things that might make you uncomfortable. Right. And so it's just about getting your impact and, and intent aligned 
and that's tricky and you're kind of screwing up because I'm going to say something to you sometimes that's going to be like, ooh, that landed funny. But my work, the work that I have to do as Katie Augsburger is to get stronger when somebody says, hey, that landed funny. Like, ooh, okay, give me that feedback and tell me how I can fix that in the future because I didn't know this about you and I didn't know that that's, that would have landed funny. So help yeah. me, help me well, understand that. Thank you for explaining that, I think, in a really mm-hmm. easy to understand way and also for bringing it back to impact on the Impact Makers mm-hmm. podcast. So I appreciate yes. that. <laughs> the, the the focus. Of- <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that will help me the next time when I see something go down or even if it happens mm-hmm. to me and my first thought is I want to say, but that's not what I intended or not what I believe the mm-hmm. person intended. It's more about what was the impact and can I get aligned with what the impact was that I would intend to create. So I appreciate Mm -hmm. that. Before we move on, I do want to talk about the work that you're doing and some of the articles. I know throughout this time, as I said, as I'm learning, I know you and I had a conversation maybe about a year ago. You were introduced Mm -hmm. to me by our mutual friend, Laurie Rudiman, and and we had a phone conversation. And (laughs) I look back on that in a lot of ways. And I kind of joked with you then, I don't know where I was at the time, but I sort of used it as therapy. <laughs> if you remember. <laughs> Are all conversations really therapy in the You're root like, of it? <laughs> yeah, it's like, hi, Katie, I don't know you, but here, let me unload on you all these things I'm struggling with. And you were very kind and again, thoughtful and kind of how you responded to that and I, I probably referenced then, you know, Sarah Morgan was a guest on my podcast and I'll link to mm-hmm. it in the show notes early on. And one of the statements that she made then, which I think is very prescient now, is that, you know, talking about kind of like the one black friend and how you mm-hmm. obviously need more than that as a white person. And mm-hmm. she, she made the statement, don't expect your one black friend to be your encyclopedia of woke. Yeah. And yeah. I loved what she so said. <laughs> yeah, that was that was really it. But I think mm-hmm. I I looked upon you as my encyclopedia of woke that day. <laughs> and I've thought about it and I'm sorry. Um oh, thank you. But again, it was I think that's helpful, impact and intent. My intent mm. was to talk through something with you that I was struggling with, but I didn't ask your permission. I didn't ask, Mm. should you be paid for that? I didn't ask any of those things. Mm. And I think some of the good things that hopefully will come out of where we are now as a society Mm -hmm. are instances like that where I would hopefully be more mindful of, okay, if I want Katie's expertise and wisdom Mm -hmm. on these issues, this is what she does for a living. You know, Mm. and I should be willing to compensate her for that and or, you know, engage her to help me or my business in some Mm. ways with things that I struggle with that she has expertise in. So, Jennifer, what a like a beautiful example to your listeners of like how to repair. But I'll let you know that that wasn't the impact that landed on me. I didn't feel taken advantage or put out in that moment, but I so deeply appreciate you working to repair that. And I think like, as just an example, like that's, that's the work. (laughs) (laughs) It's saying, Hey, I don't, this was what my intent was. I don't know if it aligned with my impact. Can I check that? And here's what I'll do in the future to ensure that my impact and intent are aligned. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where, we get we get so uncomfortable, especially when it comes to race, because especially for white folks, they've been taught not to see race, not to discuss race, not to even acknowledge it. And so to have to 
show up in a different way to do repair work, that feels very difficult. But it also can be very simple and can actually create more authentic relationships because I'm like, all right, fantastic. <laughs> like, I love that you said that. And I feel like I feel more in authentic relationship with you, even if that wasn't how um, the impact, even if that wasn't the impact that I had at the moment. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for, mm-hmm. for sharing that with me. Speaking of the work that you do, again, we kind of took, we took <laughs> yeah. a big arc from I was born a child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So what is the work that you're doing with individuals and companies today? Tell yeah. us a little bit more about that. So I'm, I focus primarily on helping organizations because I'm an HR nerd, like, you know, a lot of folks in this world on rethinking those policies and practices and really centering them on who's been most harmed in our nation, in our world, who's, who work wasn't designed for, and to really like put them in the center of the design so that we can create a more healing workplace. So that's, you know, I think when you and I were kind of setting up this conversation, one of the things that came to mind is, I've often been in workspaces, specifically just being a young woman, that were not designed for me. Like I, I, I can remember so many times that like work would be really frustrating, and I'd go to the bathroom and cry and see other women crying in the bathroom because we knew we couldn't cry outside in front of men. We knew that that wasn't acceptable. That there was something shameful about how we were showing up, and if we wanted to show up in that way, we needed to do it privately in the bathroom. And that further extends to just being a woman of color in space and being a black woman particularly is that so I got so much feedback about how I showed up, about not being professional enough, about being too loud or pushing too much. And yes, I'm loud. (laughs) Yes, I push. But I don't think I'm any louder or push any harder than any of the male counterparts I had in the organization or any of the white folks that were in the organization. But I was definitely more policed, for lack of a better term, about how I showed up. And my goal is not to create a workplace where white men can't be, but a place where I can be in workspace with them and all the historical barriers that have been placed in front of me are acknowledged and rectified in that workspace. And so that's really like how I see my work now. And especially being a person of color in HR and a black woman, particularly in HR, where there's just so few to recognize that a lot of HR is about policing behavior. Mm -hmm. We've really set up our profession in that way. And that becomes even more difficult and problematic when we talk about the gulf of difference between what HR looks like versus some of our workplaces. Right. So your work, or what is your job title, or do you have... Well, I mean, I get to make it up because I work for myself. That's the best (laughs) part. That's the best part. (laughs) I call myself an employee experience strategist because I feel Uh like that's what I would do is I just help organizations with their employee experience. Sure. So I've thought of you when I think of, you know, Katie to refer or whatever I've thought Mm -hmm. about equity and inclusion, Mm -hmm. which is, I'm sure, just a piece of what you were doing and what you you just mentioned that you're doing with companies. So let's draw a line in the sand Obviously, pandemic's been going on, but there was a time pre, unfortunately, George Floyd and and a lot of the events that have happened recently. And you were doing the same work then that you Mm -hmm. are doing today. Yeah. How, How has it changed in terms of getting companies to listen, want to do the work, actually do the work? pre whatever time you want to draw on the sand to where we are today. Oh, 
a different time. That is, that is such a meaty question. And here, here's why. <laughs> I think a lot of organizations recognize they had to change if they were going to be part of the future. They had to change. They recognized that the demographics of staff had changed. And so they were going to have to change how they showed up. They needed to change their leadership and become more inclusive. I think that was in the ether for a lot of organizations before COVID hit. When COVID hit, I saw this kind of like interesting phenomenon where some organizations were like, now we have to do this work faster and harder because we're seeing the inequities that COVID is highlighting. And some other organizations were like, I don't got budget for this at all. This is just the funsies. This is just the feel goods. This is a benevolent exercise so that we can be nice to our black and brown employees. And that's kind of how it was seen. And so like a lot of the work kind of dropped off. And what we saw after George Floyd's murder is a lot of organizations, I think in an attempt to be on the right side of history, rushed out to put these statements out into the ether about how they show up for black and brown folks. But what they said publicly was not at all lining up with how they treated staff internally. And there was strife inside organizations for a lot of black and brown employees who said, your intent is not lining up with your impact at all. You are saying you care about black lives, but I don't see anybody of color past junior staff in this organization, or I have seen the termination rates of black folks way higher in this organization than white folks. How is this aligned? And so I've really seen this like this aha from organizations that thought that this was a benevolent exercise to recognize that this is the work. Like we are all here to do work, but this is the work, how we show up for each other, how we create livelihood for each other, how we show up and just be in space is the work. Like, yes, we might make widgets. Yes, we may like do this type of transportation or healthcare, but the work of being together is how we get work done. And watching that arc, being in the arc is hard, but kind of the moments where I can be reflective and look at this and say, what a time to be alive, to bear witness to how organizations are kind of grappling through these changes and recognizing that they can no longer be successful unless they start getting this right. Because not only is there a social media presence about getting it wrong like there is that you will be amplified if you get it wrong but also you do not want to harm people like I believe most people don't want to harm people and so like how do we show up and be a good organization and not do harm so I feel like this is just like the most wild time to be alive (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) and see all of this so so are you a long way to say I've been busy (laughs) are you yeah are you hopeful do you think we will get it right oh thank you I am a hundred percent hopeful. And I think like, if you, if you do this work and you are not hopeful, then this is not the work you should be doing because the goal is to move this, to know that this might not be changed in my lifetime. Like I might be on the transition team, but have tremendous hope. Look at what we're talking about right now. In this moment, just you and I, we are talking about racial justice and equality. You and I could not have had this conversation even five years ago, maybe, like in in the way that we're having it now. And so 
we we have a long way to go because it's it's far past just talking but the fact that we are having these conversations that race people who are racist are getting held accountable for their racism is brand new the mm-hmm. people who have the people who have borne the cost of racism have always been black and brown folks and now we're seeing people being held to account for their racism and that is a, a phenomenon that is far too long coming, but still a big deal for us to celebrate and to celebrate that we are not nearly there, but we are getting there and we are going to keep pushing and we will not stop. And so to me, I'm like, yes, I'm here for the optimism. I believe in abundant future. I'm ready for this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we should all feel optimistic, but that requires us not to stop. I appreciate you saying that because sometimes, you know, it's, I, I I joke about, you know, during the day, I try to stay off social media. You know, I'm not watching the news or anything because I'm trying to put the head down and get some work done and figure out what the, quote, new normal looks like in my personal life and business. And then I watch, I record the news, so I watch it late at night. And then I get on social Mm -hmm. media and I get all disappointed again. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like... I don't don't want the changes that are coming. You know, there are many disastrous and negative things happening, obviously. I mean, the world, we're humans, that Mm -hmm. happens. But I see, you know, we were talking before we started recording, like I live in a new place now. I look over a park. I see families out there playing with the whole family, the dog, you know, the cat, whatever it is. And I'm like, I bet bet before we were all told to stay at home and stay inside. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) that Mm -hmm. they weren't out with their family probably enjoying that. So I hope that we carry something like that post, you know, coronavirus, you know, stay at home time. I also Mm -hmm. look around and I see, as you said, some of the things that are positive, you know, names being taken off of things, statues coming down, Mm -hmm. people who are truly at their core, you know, racist being called what they are and realizing, you know, either being diminished or in some cases, discontinued. You know, I think all of that's positive and I, I just really am hopeful that it's not just a moment in time, that it's, that it's yeah, part of the path forward. I believe it is. And I, I'm sure I'd love to be challenged on this, but I, I believe that we are in, somebody said to me recently, the great white awakening, which I found both hilarious and also really interesting is that white folks have not had to think about race and racism. That has been the privilege of being white is that, and I wrote this once on social media, that I, like many other black and brown folks have participated in that system because that was a survival mechanism of, I don't want to talk to you about race because I don't know how you'll react and I want to stay safe. And we just have not had this conversation at this volume. I know in my lifetime and I think probably ever. And that feels radical and it feels scary and it feels depressing and it feels new and it feels exciting. But I also feel like, I don't know about you, but in my bones, it feels different. It feels like we are on a precipice of a big change. And I'm hopeful because I think that we're ready for it. And we don't get to decide. I, like we were talking about before we started recording, like you don't get to decide when the revolution happens, the revolution decides. <laughs> and so whatever we're in, it feels like we're on the precipice of change and it probably isn't going to move as fast as some folks want and it's not going to move as slowly as other people wish, but we're here. And so our job is to keep pushing for it and push so that everybody can be seen. And I feel like 
you know, between the pandemic and the administration and George Floyd, we are in this moment that calls for us to work harder. And I think people are. Well, I hope so. And as we kind of wrap up, I, I did, you know, want to highlight a couple of things you've been producing. Uh, again, great content and, and writings and thoughts, sharing your thoughts all along. I originally came across you on Laurie's Punk Rock HR podcast way back when, before before my uh, unplanned therapy session. <laughs> um, but recently, and I, you know, I, I read what you write, but this came across my way and I, I really... It resonated with me, an article that you wrote on Fistful of Talent, a blog that I used to write for called Dear White HR Ladies, We Need to Talk, How a Homogenous Profession Has Shaped Our Workplaces and What We Need to Do About It. Now, besides that being the longest title I've seen, (laughs) I think it's a long title that says a lot, which meant obviously Mm -hmm. I was going to read it. And then I think within that article, you shared some really insightful perspective, both uh, mm-hmm. your perspective as being a, a Black woman working in HR in your past uh, and what the profession looks like in general. Maybe share mm-hmm. a little bit more about what prompted you to write that article, what you wanted to convey in the article, and maybe what the response was to it. Yeah. So, well, I'll take you on a, a small pop culture journey first to help explain why I wrote it. So there's, I think the movie's Backdraft. It was about firefighters. And there was a saying in this film that there's two types of people that go into firefighting. There are people who love to help people and who want to be there as a support and to be there as a rescuer and full of empathy. And there's people who love fire. And that is an analogy I've used about policing. Yes, of course there's good police officers. Of course there's people who love people. There's also people who love policing, who love to be able to police people's behavior, who can strong arm folks. And the same is true with HR. I don't think any folks that have been in the profession can honestly say there are not some folks that really love people, who just love to be there to help and support and care for employees. And there's a lot of people who want to control people. And when we think about HR and the lens of race, and we think about people like Amy Cooper, the woman that called the police on the birder in Central Park, and how specifically white women have shown up in the role of upholding whiteness in America, we have to talk about how pervasive (laughs) that is inside of HR. This idea of policing the behavior of black and brown folks and that white women make up the majority of HR. And so there is going to be a lot of Amy Coopers in HR. I've worked for and with a lot of Amy Coopers and, and I think most of us in HR have, and that those folks are doing tremendous harm to people of color and organizations. They're doing tremendous harm to the profession because if we're showing up with the energy, we are not, Just like police, if there are a few bad apples, you rot the whole barrel. And if there are a few bad apples in HR, we are all rotten. And it is our work to fix that. If there are people who are showing up that way, we have to do the work to call them out. This is an area where I'm okay with y'all calling that out, not calling (laughs) that in. (laughs) But to to help them repair, to help them understand how they're showing up, to help them understand the impacts that they're having I've sat in so many meetings with HR folks when I didn't feel like I had a voice to push back, or I've heard people toss aside resumes that they didn't have a culture fit based on only 
people with their name, where I've seen people not believe women in investigations of sexual harassment, where I've seen HR folks say racist and problematic stuff. And if they're showing up in that space with me, <laughs> a woman, a, a black woman, what are they saying when I'm not there? And how are they showing up for um, the people that they're tasked to serve and really to rethink our profession as a profession that is in service of the employees, in service of creating an employee experience that is actually going to build wealth in communities of color, that's actually going to create great careers for people. And we don't often think about HR in that way. So I feel like that was kind of the catalyst for me for writing that article. It's like, we have to talk about our profession. We don't. I've never been to an HR conference where this was a topic about like, who are we (laughs) and how are we showing up for people? And if there are bad apples, we have to do the work to, uh, to suss that out, to to fix that and to repair our relationship with employees. Yeah. Well, I really appreciated the article and I shared it with my networks and I will link to it in the show notes. I will also link to another article that you wrote I want to be, it's respective of everybody's time, but you wrote one, <laughs> five, five things organizational leaders can do this week to support Black lives. And I think that's relevant every week. And we also shared that on Twitter. And, and I really appreciated that. And you have a dis- great disrupting chart talk out there that I'll also link to. So, <laughs> what you think I'm wearing the same shirt? So that well, might, <laughs> I'll be easy to find. <laughs> there you go. So all of those links will be in the show notes. So hopefully people will go to the show notes to read more and learn from you. But where can they find out more about you and the work that you're doing with companies and also potentially if they were looking for help, how you could help. Yeah. So we're at futurework.design and you can find me there. And then I'm all over LinkedIn. You can feel free to hit me up there or connect with me there. And I just try to try to pump out a lot of stuff that might be helpful for our organization. So there's a lot of free content on both places. I appreciate you sharing that. Again, we'll link to all the places people can find you in the show notes. And you have made my day because you have left me with, (laughs) well, first of all, great conversation. Thank you for that, but also hope for the future. And I'm really, really grabbing on to hope. I think a lot of us are these days. Hold tight to it. Don't let it go. We have to have hope. It's the whole reason for being. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Katie. It's time for you to get noticed, create change and grow your influence. Don't waste any time. Subscribe to this podcast and help us get the word out by leaving a review. 